Let us not just be aware of hard circumstances or trials of life or physical struggles, but Lord, let us be most aware of you, your glory, your honor, you as creator, you as redeemer. And let our hope be fixed there. Clothed in your righteousness. That's baffling when we think about our good week or hard week or whatever kind of week we had. We're clothed in your righteousness. That's a hope that we have because of Christ. Oh God, make those truths go deep down into our hearts. And Lord, water them and cause growth to them and let them bear fruit for your kingdom glory. In Jesus' name. Oh, I got some other stuff to pray for. Sorry. Father, I pray for Grace City Church. God, our church plant in Wilmington, North Carolina, Joshua Earl and Aaron Bean. Lord, the work they're doing there, we thank you for them. God, as they've asked for prayer, we, we just rejoice with them in the new facility that they have uh, for at least for these 12 months as they just started last week. God, as they head toward trying to figure out building fund and capital campaign, Lord, be with them, provide for them, provide for them in ways like you've provided for us, we pray. God, they need a worship leader. So we pray, Lord, as, as they currently do not have one, Lord, even Sean Summers and Christopher and other guys are going and helping at different times, Lord. God, we pray for provision there. Um, God, they want to grow in evangelism. Lord, I know from seeing Aaron share the gospel, Lord, I pray you would unleash him in his gift of evangelism. And Lord, that that church would be on mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Lord, lastly, they want prayer for their development fund. Uh, I mean, sorry, not development fund, leadership development so, Lord, we pray, Lord, just for a pipeline for them, for future pastors, as they desire to, to prepare and then send out. They don't want to be an end in themselves. Lord, we pray for leadership development. And then, Lord, we pray for our church in Belarus. Much like we talked about with Ukraine, Belarus government is uh, sympathetic to Russia is currently arresting Christians. And um, Pastor Philip and his wife Lida were arrested this week. And so we pray for them. Lord, as Pastor Philip was released, but his wife was not, God, we pray for comfort and grace for Lida. As reports are coming that she is in good cheer and speaking to the nine other ladies in her cell, God, we pray for grace for her. God, we pray for gospel witness for her. We pray that you would fill her with your spirit. And we pray that in your timing, you would release her. But Lord, use her. Lord, for whatever reason, she stayed and, and Philip went. We don't understand. But Lord, we pray for her right now. We pray for these crisis situations, Lord. God, this isn't hypothetical stuff. 
And so we pray your kingdom would come in Belarus. Your kingdom would come in Ukraine. Your kingdom would come here in the Charleston area. Lord, your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we would have hearts for these crisis situations and uh, revitalization situations and, and development situations. We would just have your heart, Lord, for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me be seated. Children, we kept you last week. Promise not to keep you this week. Love you guys. Be released to your class. Thanks for being in here last week with us. We're going to talk to your parents today. So we're same passage. We're talking to parents. You're going to be praying for your parents as you walk over to uh, Hope Kids class today. Uh, don't forget the July challenge. The July challenge we want uh, just to encourage you to have chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. In 2004, we had our first child, Kristen, Kristen and I did. And I remember going home from the hospital, making sure that that car seat was the best car seat in the world and was locked in in exactly the way a car seat should be properly locked in. And then driving slowly and being warned by my wife who was sitting with the baby to drive slowly, as slow as possible, to our apartment. We were going to be good parents, and we were going to do everything right. But at the same time, we had the thought that we have no clue what we're doing. And no one had really shown us before. I remember having the thought, is it really legal for the hospital to release this little baby with us right now? Like, this feels illegal. Like, we don't know what we're doing. They said, here's a baby, and we're like, I, mm, I don't know. I at that point in my life, I changed one diaper. One. So I simultaneously wanted to do everything right as a parent and also had no clue how to do it. Welcome to parenting. In God's kindness, the Bible has much to say about parenting. This text that we're going to cover today will speak to that. If we zoom out, kind of broad picture of the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3 speaks of doctrine, glorious doctrines of the gospel. And chapters 4 through 6 is talking about the practice. How do those doctrines play out. And that's where we are right now. We're in chapter 6 of Ephesians, carrying out, playing out, practicing the gospel. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word. Point number one today is child-rearing expectations. Point one is going to be kind of a fast flyover because I spent lots of time talking to your kids about this last week. I spent a lot of time in verses one through three. Here's the main expectation of the passage when it comes to child-rearing. Obedience. We teach our kids to obey. They obey us, but it's an unto the Lord obedience. They're to obey in the Lord. We covered last week how Romans 1 and other places speak 
highly of disobedience to parents is, is on the level as envy, murder, haters of God, inventors of evil. It's a big deal biblically. So parents, we are to expect obedience, and that sowing will be happening in those early years as the reaping comes later. In those middle years of elementary school, there's this maturing happening. We talked about the funnel and how um, we have kind of a reverse funnel biblically that we start really tight, and then it kind of gets looser as there's more maturity that happens. So that in the teen years, as maturity comes, freedoms equally come. One person I heard talking about parenting talked about parenting in those early years as this face-to-face. You're, you're looking at your kid, they're looking at you. And then in those middle years into the high school years, it's coming alongside. So you're walking alongside, kind of coaching and mentoring those teenagers. Verse 2 then says, honor your father and mother. We covered last week a lot of the details there, but I want to kind of hit quickly two kind of situations or temptations in our culture when it comes to honoring. And two quick things I'm going to hit on are, are, are not just for the parents, but us who have parents. Okay, so I'm kind of flipping this a little bit. One is this. Our culture has a temptation to view ourselves as victims. Like this victimization, how can I out-victimize another person? And so then when it comes to texts like this about how do we honor our parents, there's a huge cultural uh, storyline of we think through how we've been victims, how we've been victims of our parents' parenting. And then we can start picking apart. Now, some of us have had really difficult parenting situations. There's abuse, stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about. That's real victimization. But the culture wants to highlight victimization at any point in time. It's this therapeutic culture. And it's a huge tendency. It's the water we drink in our culture. And friends, if, if that's your tendency that, that you kind of look at your childhood as you're victimized, um, it's encouraging to know that, that if you see all the failures of your parents, it's because your parents failed. And if you're a parent, you failed. Because we are all sinners. But we don't look at life through the lens of sin We look at life through the lens of the gospel if we're believers. If you're a parent, you're going to fail your kids, but God doesn't. We don't just kind of like get hung up in that. We also don't then look at our family relationships. You don't see see Paul bringing up all the failures of his parents because of his pharisaical heart. You don't see in the Old Testament many of the failures, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. You don't see like this excuse of all the parenting failures and that that's an excuse to disobey God. Friends, we live in a therapeutic society that wants to just look at our feelings and then see how we've been failed and then see what issues we have and just kind of we internalize everything. I remember sitting in a psychology 101 class in um, college and the teacher just trying to explain how we all come from dysfunctional families. So just giving example after example after example after example after example. And finally I was like, yeah, yeah. 
And everybody in there is like, yeah, we, we all came from dysfunctional families. Our parents, like, by, like it was kind of like rising up in us of all the failures of our parents, which is true, but not fully true. It's true that we all have failures in parenting, and every one of us, if you look at the history of what you come from, there are failures. But that is not primarily what we see in Scripture of how we're to define our lives. We have to define our lives by Christ. And if you are in Christ, your primary identity is not victim. Your primary identity is saved, redeemed, bought, adopted into the family. So that doesn't minimize real difficult issues in the past, but it does speak to a general tendency in our culture that we have to really consider. Is our view when honoring parents, and there's no time stamp on honoring parents, right? We are to honor our parents in the house and out of the house, if we're in the house or out of the house. But friends, we can't primarily define ourselves as victims. Christ was the ultimate victim. Christ took our sins when we victimized him. He took the punishment on the cross. He became weak and then in the resurrection became strong so that we could know his strength. So friends, we've got to look at our own parents through the lens of scripture. So that's That's the one idea of honoring that we've got to consider as we come to this passage. The other thing that our culture doesn't really think a lot about is that we don't actually honor older folks. In Eastern culture, there's a reverence for older folks. In Western culture, we see aging as bad and being young as a leader. Everybody wants to stay young. This passage says, honor your father and mother Again, there is no time stamp. So if we have parents who are still alive, we are called to think through honoring them. And I know for, there's many people in this room, this is hard. This is difficult. My dad left my family. I get it. I get trying to think through the difficulty of how do I do this. But friends, we've got to step forward. When Scripture says, honor your father and mother, we've actually got to think through how to honor our father and mother. How do we take care? How do we love? How do we repent when we've sinned, where we've held bitterness, things like that? Let me just say, I've learned much from folks in this room who have honored their parents by um, going toward them, helping in crisis moments, bringing them in the home. There's a number of people in this church who have brought older parents into their home. Friends, we've got to learn from Scripture. Our, our American culture gets some things right, and we get some things wrong. Friends, there's other cultures that actually get this right where we get this wrong. So Latin American culture has a robust obligation to honor your parents. The, an Asian culture, every Asian friend I know sends money back to, to their parents. Uh, African cultures, similar. So our Western culture is actually not the norm. And it's like, whoa, I'm having nothing to do. I'm putting my parents in the home and like doing what I want to do. You know, th- that's unusual in our world. Now, our world is not our pri- primary authority, right? Scripture is our authority. So we want God's word 
to be primary when we think about how we engage with older parents. And what does this text say? Honor. And friends, we've got to think seriously about this. If we just kind of like don't look at this, I don't think we're honoring Scripture, which means honoring our King. It's holy ground to think through how to honor those who raised you. Now back to this passage specifically talking about parents. Let's look at point number two, parental temptation. So, so last week I dove tons into verses one through three, so primarily I'll be looking at verse four today. Parental temptation. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We must know the temptations in parenting. It's interesting that God calls out the fathers. The fathers are to lead the home and lead in parenting. And we will. We will lead either toward God or away from God. And ladies, I know you'd include yourself in desire to not exasperate or provoke your kids. And so we must consider ways that we provoke our kids. Let me just say, as, as a dad who has nine kids in the home right now, I am an expert at provoking my kids. So let me just speak to this. They could kind of get up here and talk different ways uh, and having to repent to them. Um, for younger kids, I often have provoked by parental inconsistency. Parental inconsistency. I'd hammer an area of, of discipline or correction one week and the next week not be consistent about that some area, that same area, sorry. So it's like, really big deal? Uh, I'm tired, not really dealing with it. A uh, really big deal? Not dealing with it. You know, and they're back and forth and the kids are like, what in the world's going on? There's consistency or lack of consistency. So it provokes our kids to have parental inconsistency. I've said to my kids when they were young, to go to the bathroom because they're going to have um, discipline spankings, and uh, I forgot about them. I shared this in, in the parenting workshop. Like, I literally forgot I sent them in there, only to then remember going and they were asleep on the floor. Like, they fell, fell asleep. That happened more than one time. Like, I forgot about them. They fell asleep. That's parental failure, and I had to repent for that. In the elementary years, uh, provoking kids might be picking on them or, or fault-finding. So we're just kind of picking when they, they, they don't think it's funny or, or finding fault in them, maybe an unreasonableness. We talked about that some last week. Parents, if your kids are more aware of being corrected than encouraged, that can be really disheartening. And that's a, that's a category that Chris and I often talk about, are our kids more aware of correction or encouragement? Are they more aware of correction, where I think change needs to happen, or are they more aware of encouragement? And I just say, I mean, I could talk to my kids right now. Some of them are feeling the encouragement thing, and some are like, Dad, you're actually failing at this right now. Like, I'm aware of the struggle in this, like daily struggle of the correction and encouragement. And parenting teenagers, provoking them to anger is often telling them to do something that they know you are unwilling to do, which is called hypocrisy. Like, that's a major way we can tempt our teenagers is by our own hypocrisy. That can be provoking. If, if I say, hey, you need to do that, and they know I would never do that, you know? 
They're like, come on. But one big area of provoking, I don't think it's going to be on the screen, is this. When parents do not humbly confess their own sin. Your kids know when you sin. They know you better than you know yourself in many ways. If we don't have a culture of repentance and forgiveness in our home, if they don't see mom and dad humbly acknowledging their sin, how are they going to learn to do it? Like, we model this one way or the other. We model kind of sweeping sin under the rug, or we model repentance and humbly going to kids like, hey, I sinned against you. You please forgive me for that. Yes, I forgive you for that. Parents, when was the last time you repented to your kids? Is that the norm in your home? If not, your first step, application today of this message, of this text, may just be sitting down and having kind of that blanket repentance of like, hey, we haven't had this culture in our home. And telling them, hey, I feel like God wants us to change. God wants me to change. And then having them pray for you. Parents, we must know our temptations, and we must know what exasperates our kids, and we must be the the ones to step forward in humility. Parents, I would encourage you to study your kids. In in marriage stuff, I talk about husbands, study your wives. There's There's also an aspect of parents, you know your kids. Every kid is not the same. They don't react the same. They don't respond the same. So if you're parenting them in exactly the same way in every way, you're probably not actually studying the intricacies of those different kids. Some kids can handle joking in a way that other kids can't. They have different personalities, different abilities, different proclivities. So it takes intentionality. It takes prayer. It takes getting God's heart for our kids. Now, verse 4 has kind of the parental put-offs, but also the parental put-ons. Put off provoking your kids to anger, but what do we put on? Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Point number three is parental expectations. Verse 4 says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I mentioned this briefly last week, but a little more detail here. Bring them up. That can be translated as being gentle as cherishing, as nourishing. So when we think about how, how, how our disposition as parents is toward children, there's a gentleness, there's a cherishing, and there's a nourishing. And what do we do with that? Well, we discipline them. That speaks of godly correction and training. We'll talk about that more in a second. And instruction, we speak and teach and impart gospel truth. Now, parents, hear this. Paul is not interested in your child finding his or or her own way. He's not interested in your child exploring all their different options of life, finding their own truth. No, he is clear with direction and discipline and instruction. This is biblical instruction and godly discipleship. There is one way, Jesus says, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. So he's not interested in the fluffy, light parenting of our culture. Now, in understanding these aspects, I want to hit a major passage. We talked about this in the parenting workshop, but just say a major passage when thinking about uh, instructing our kids, and that's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says this. It'll be on the screen. Hear, O Israel, or listen, O Israel. The Lord, your God, Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and shall, uh, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, verses 4 and 5 are known as the Shema. It's what was recited by the Jewish parents and children alike every morning. Hear, listen, O Israel. Yahweh is one. There aren't multiple gods in this pagan society. There is one God. And you shall love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. When Jesus looked at this, he summarized the Shema, the, which, which summarizes the Ten Commandments, as love God. You love God with everything about you. So parents, we are to love God with everything in us. Which leads to the next part of that passage. And these words that I command you today shall be on whose heart? On your kid's heart? No, on your heart, mom. On your heart, dad. Parents, before you can instruct your kids about God, God, a relationship with God, an understanding of God, God's word has to be on your heart. You can't take your kids further spiritually then you're willing to go. Kids learn dependence on God from watching mom and dad depend on God. Kids learn to worship and sing and pray and study God's word by watching mom and dad sing and pray and study God's word. Kids learn awe and wonder at creation that points to the creator by watching mom and dad have awe and wonder in creation. We can only take our kids where we've gone. And friends, our kids know how we think, how we feel, our loyalties, our fears, our hypocrisies, our inconsistencies. You can just ask them at lunch today. They'll probably be glad to share. Friends, before we instruct our kids, we have to be instructed. Before we instruct our kids, we we need to realize this is a delegated authority we have. We sit under the, the chief shepherd. We sit under the chief parent, the father. We must take our own hearts to task. We must have the gospel preached to our hearts and then poured out to the hearts of our children. Now, experientially for me, knowing my own personal weaknesses, I I need personally, now I don't think everybody's like this, I need personally to get up before the rest of my family. 
Because when I get up, I'm usually not in a great mood. Like I just, I don't want to be around people. Like So if I wake up and there's already children awake, like it's not a happy time. So I try to wake up before them so I can have coffee and Bible. And Bible's more important than coffee, but coffee's a grace from the Lord. And, and so the, I, I spend in time in prayer and repentance and reading and just slowly wake up. So then when kids start trickling down, I can hug them and greet them in kind ways and not just be like, oh, you're driving me crazy or oh, get away, which is a temptation. And it's not because I'm strong that I'm in God's word in the morning. It's because I'm weak because I know I'm weak. And I know so many times experientially when I've slept in and kids are awake, we had this on vacation just a few weeks ago. I go downstairs, I'd slept in that morning, and I'm greeted by daddy, 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 papa, daddy, daddy, question, question, question. And I'm like, rah! Like, I don't want to, I think I said to one of them, I was like, I'm not parenting right now, (laughs) which was not a godly response. But friends, we've got to know our own proclivities and our own weaknesses and walk toward the grace that God gives us, which may just be setting the alarm earlier. Or it may be some other thing for you, for you how know how to parent your kids best. Notice in Deuteronomy 6, it helps us understand Ephesians 6. Deuteronomy 6 helps us understand Ephesians 6 when is this instructing happening? So we're to discipline and instruct, uh, give, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When does that happen? Well, Deuteronomy 6 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you bo- walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. When does this happen? What well, happens as you go? as you live your life, as you go on a walk, as you talk at dinner, as you drive to soccer practice, as you debrief about a movie, as you head toward bed, this is normal life discipleship, life on life discipleship. Parenting is not just a class. It's life. It is, it is investment. It's follow me as I follow Christ, kids. Follow me as I follow Christ. We got into lots of details at our parenting workshop. Those messages are online if you want to listen to them. But here was kind of a, one of the main things we talked about. Every moment is a moment where we can point our kids toward awe and wonder of our glorious creator and redeemer. So you have moments heading home today in the car. You have moments over meals. You have moments Whenever you're talking, whether it's a discipline moment, you have to talk out something, whether it's a joyful moment of celebration, whether it's vacation, whether it's going to a restaurant, whatever it is, there's moments for us to take advantage of and lean in toward. That's where the instruction that Paul's talking about in Ephesians 6 gets a little clear. When does this happen? It's life. It's normal life. Verse six, or chapter 6, verse 4, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We talked about instruction, but what is discipline talking about? We referred to Hebrews 12 last week. For 
the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. So parents, discipline is painful. Like, that's actually part of the definition of discipline. So we must know ourselves. Some of us are tempted to over-discipline our kids, and some of us are tempted to under-discipline our kids. We need to know where we fall in that spectrum and talk that out with our spouse or community group leaders or whoever we want to talk to. But there's this aspect of it being painful. So in the younger years, that might be spanking. As kids get older, uh, we have things like running stairs, walking with bricks around a pond, fining, like all those kind of things. Those are options. Our kids don't always love all those options. But it's part of knowing the things that help them learn that are painful because they're either going to learn now in the home or they're going to learn outside the home. How many of us have learned the painful things of God's kind discipline, of us reining us in. Here's the point. Your kids need discipline, parents, and they need it from you. They need clear expectations and boundaries and consequences if they rebel because family life is training ground. Family life is training ground. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Like, we want to purge the foolishness that's there. And if you're one of those parents like, not my kid, you're wrong. Like, your kid's not the exception. I remember one, I'm just, this wasn't here, so this was somewhere else, so I'm not going to embarrass anybody here. I remember, this was probably 15 years ago, my wife's uh, playing with this, uh, like, I think there was a play date or something. There's this little girl, it's like, whatever, two years old, and the mom was just like boasting on the kid. Been, if you're one of those parents, please stop doing that. Um, just like boasting, boasting, boasting. And finally, like she was talking about the kid walking early and eating good and whatever, doing cross-stitch, I don't know. And uh, the, she, the, the mom just, just says to my wife, I just, I just wanted a normal child. I didn't want this exceptional child. I just want a normal, well, good for you. Good for you. But friends, we must... We must point our kids with discipline to wisdom. Wisdom. Read the Proverbs. And look what it says in the text. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction. What's the last three words? Of the Lord. This is not your instruction. This is not your disciplinary ways. This is walking toward the Lord. Parenting is a privilege, friends. Psalm 127, verse 1 and then verse 3, 4 say this. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Skip in verse 2. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from Yahweh, the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. So our children are to be kingdom heirs, fashioned to shoot straight. Shoot the straightness of wisdom and hit the target that God wants them to for his glory. And friends, I referred to this earlier. One of the things when I read 1 Peter 5 as a pastor, one of the joy, is there bells going off or is that me? Somebody's phone had chimes. I was like breathing in my head. Um, as a pastor, 1 Peter 5 talks about uh, God is the chief shepherd, or Jesus is the chief shepherd. 
And friends, in the midst of pastoring and being a shepherd, me knowing that he's the chief shepherd and I'm just an under-shepherd is massive. It's massive to know, and I'm just pointing everybody to him, right? Well, you're not the chief parent. You're an under-parent, under the Father. And so your job is to point your kids to him. It's not about my rules, my, my expectations, my parenting style. It's about the Lord. It's wanting us to point our kids to the Lord. Point them to the Lord. Point them to the Lord. That's the goal. We have a delegated authority. 2004, I did not know what I was doing. There are many ways I still don't. But I know to point my kids to the Lord. 18 years in now, point them to the Lord. Point them to the Lord. We know we're supposed to point them to the Lord. And friends, we are so aware of our weakness in this for some of us. So aware of our failures for some of us. But friends, this is a delegated authority, and we just we point them to the Lord. But here's what we need to understand. We need to be pointed to the Lord. It's not just this task of parenting. We're going to get it right. No, we need to have our hearts positioned toward the Lord. So, Robbie, if you'll come on up here, we're going to close this way. We're just going to sing. And just felt like there are some parents in here that just need prayer. They're just like, man, I am...